Well, as I uh, went to Israel last October and got to see kind of the, all the areas at which a lot of these stories and a lot of this history comes from, it was pretty intriguing, and especially when I come to a section like this in the scripture. Um, this, this is an, a very interesting set of scripture because we don't really know when Jesus did it later on, but we have an account for it right now. And that is in, in the book of, of Matthew chapter 4, um, verse 1 through 11 is where we are. If you need a Bible, just slip your hands up. Um, and you can turn with me there, and we'll get there in just a second. But, but I kind of picture this, and, and I, can, I can place myself at maybe, maybe it was near Capernaum or maybe it was near the Sea of Galilee when he at some point sat down and sat with some disciples and, and retells these events that we have in Scripture. Now, we don't see anywhere else later on in Scripture of him retelling this, but again, we know that this is a, this is a battle between Satan and Jesus, and, and no one else is present. So at some point, Jesus has sat his disciples down. Maybe they're around a, a fire they'd just eaten together, and he tells them this story, this, this, this history, historical event of him and Satan alone in the wilderness. And so I think it's when we come to, to sections like this where it's like, okay, well, there's something big going on because this is something that really wasn't, a, we, could, we didn't have an account of, but Jesus felt it important enough to share, important enough for us to hear. So today, we're going to actually spend a couple weeks on this text. Today, what we're going to do is look at maybe why he shared this, and then next week we're going to look at um, some of what we can get out of this text as well. But let's go ahead and read it real quick. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for uh, preserving this this event, this, this piece of history. God, may we look at these words not just as people trying to learn something, but as as your children trying to know more of who you are and how we are to live um, more and more for your glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray, as we look into this text, may we just honor you with our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, first off, we don't know necessarily where, but it says in the wilderness. So it, the wilderness is, is a hot, dry, desolate place that extends kind of west from the Dead Sea towards Jerusalem. It's, a, it's a, just a hot. There's, there's not a lot of life out there. It's just kind of dark lame area that you wouldn't really go, I want my vacation home to be there. So he's out in this spot. We don't know necessarily, we, we know that because of the way he's describing him, he is Satan and he comes in person form. But we don't know necessarily, we know that they start there and that they work their way to a few other locations and we'll talk about those um, next week. But, um, but we also know that, 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 that this is, a, this is a, an interesting spot because, or an interesting thing because here is Jesus who just came out of, just came out of the baptism. If you remember last week we were talking about it, he, the, both Mark and Luke say immediately, 
when they give this account. And, and he, he had just been baptized. The heavens parted. The, do, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And, and, and God yells and is, is amazing, you know, better than Morgan Freeman voice. This is my beloved son. And he, he, this is whom I'm well pleased with. And it's at that mountaintop of moment where he's like, I am king when he's led and driven to the wilderness. And I can't help but think in our life sometimes when things are going really, really well, it seems like it can turn on an instant. And we can go from this mountaintop experience of amazing things to the next week just in this dry, desolate spot. So I think it's interesting that, that Jesus gives us a story. So, so now why? Why does he share this? And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why, I think, and, and the scholars have kind of studied that and picked it apart. And I think that all of them are, are right on one sense or another. So we're going to look at a, a few of them real quickly and then um, work through this text. And I think the first one is, is, is some of the, someone make the tie to, you know, the first Adam and Eve. We get the story of the first creation, and Adam and Eve are in perfect harmony with God. You know, everything's, everything's perfect. They're not in a dry, desolate place. They're in an amazing garden where they have all the fruit and, and vegetables they could have, and the animals get along, and, and everything is just is working. And it's in that moment where Satan shows up to test and, and to tempt them. And when he does, ultimately they fail and they fall, leaving this world broken. So then comes Jesus, the second Adam, onto the scene, and he shows up in a broken, destroyed world with people far from God. And he goes to a dry, desolate place just where there's, there's no food, and he's hungry and, and all those things. And he gets, he gets attacked and, and, and suffers at the hand of, of Satan, but he prevails. So maybe this is just a way to show us that the new beginning, the new creation in Jesus Christ is we have a Messiah who wins. We have a Messiah that even in the, the, the worst of circumstances, he still prevails. What better proof can there be that spiritual or moral failure are not caused by circumstances, but by the character and response of the one who is tempted? See, it's interesting that, that Jesus in, in the worst circumstances prevails and, and, and Adam in the best circumstances fails. So the other thing is maybe, maybe, this, is, maybe this is just a way to, to, to show Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways that we were. Hebrews 2 tells us that he, he experienced everything that we could experience. So maybe this is, this is God's way or Matthew again bringing the line to, okay, Jesus is the king. He's the rightful king. In fact, just the last verse, God is declaring him the king. So maybe this is a, a chance just to kind of prove his kingship. He comes out and just shows that, look, he is worthy to be called king because in the worst circumstances, he prevails. Because in, 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 through all of that ugly stuff that he goes through, he comes out still a worthy king. He comes out our advocate, someone who's ready to, to take on the sins of this world. And maybe just one of the experiences he's, he's sharing or he's doing this is so that we can, like, like we can relate to him, like Hebrews 2 tells us, we can relate to how do you and I deal with temptation in this world? How do you and I attack this? And maybe that's what Jesus is sharing in this, but either way, he shares this with us. He shares this, he shares this event, and we have th the three of the Gospels lay it out, and they give us three of the individual temptation things, both Luke, um, but Luke describes it as the tempting happening the entire 40 days. So it's not like we... We know that it didn't just happen 40 days hungry and then all of a sudden he gets these three, but that he was, he was tempted over the entire time. And Jesus accounts for us these three. 
So there's something else I want to say. That the word tempt, we, we see all over. It's a Greek word that can both have a positive and a negative to it. And, and so it could, be tra- it could be translated as temptation or as testing. And I think it's important to discern those two because, because if it's tempting, I want you to understand that, that when we are tempted, it's for us to fail. When we are tempted, it's, it's, it's the outcome is, the hope is that when I am tempted, I will fail. So when the enemy tempts us, when Satan tempts us, he is trying to destroy us. But at the same hand, that same word can mean test. And God will test. And when God tests, in fact, it tells us that, that he tests to, to prove our faith. He tests us to, to refine us. And it's a good thing. And it's to, it's to not destroy us, but to bring glory to Christ. In fact, James 1 through 13, 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. It's the same word there. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but he will test. In fact, another story where this is in place is if you, if you know the story of Joseph, it, it's an amazing story in the book of Genesis. And, and the end of it in 50, basically Joseph is wrongfully sold into slavery by his brothers who hated him. He's wrongfully accused of rape and spends 13 years in prison in a dungeon in, in Egypt. And he's, he's, he's elevated because of a dream and he becomes the second, only, the only person hired to him that is the pharaoh. And so what ends up happening is he, he interprets this dream and he basically, through him, God allows him to, to save a, a bunch of people in the lands around him, including his, his family, because, of, because of, of, of a famine that came in place. And at the end, the, the family, the, the brothers, the dad dies and the brothers think, oh no, now Joseph isn't going to be gracious with us. It's an amazing story on grace, but they say he's not going to be gracious with us. He's gonna, he's, he was only being nice to us because dad was alive. And, and Joseph recounts this story in, in, in Genesis 50. I think it's verse 20 where he says, look, look guys, don't, don't be afraid. What you intended for evil, what you intended to, to, destruct, to destroy, God used for good. And so we can see in one instant where something is intended in evil, God can use it for good. So where we may be tempted by the, by the devil, God can still use that to prove and test and show our faith and bring glory to Christ. God often uses Satan's temptings to, to evil as his own means of testing for good. See, what Satan intended to, to, to lead the son into sin and disobedience, the father used to demonstrate the son's holiness and worthiness. See, that's God's plan for all of his children. God isn't sitting up there waiting for you to fail. His hope is to, 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 to make you more and more and more holy for his kingdom, for his glory. As a character, we have to talk about this. Although, although Satan does this tempting here, I think we need to talk about him because the new religion or people just don't like to talk about it, but we kind of play like Satan isn't real or, oh, there's no real Satan. But, but the problem with saying that is at the root of this, this, we wouldn't have this text if Jesus didn't relate it to someone. So Jesus himself says that Satan is real. So then we have to, we have to deal with this. If you say there is no Satan, then you're contradicting, you're calling Jesus a liar. If you're calling Jesus a liar, then then we all know where that goes, then Jesus can't be our Messiah. See, Jesus, we know also in Hebrews 2 that even though he is tempted in all ways, he's never sinned. He's never fallen. So Satan is a reality. There's a battle going on for the souls of every single individual in this world. And it's very, very real. And I think so many of us are sometimes afraid or we, just, we don't know what's going on or, or the unknown. And we run from the truth that there is an adversary there is someone that is, is, is working very, very hard at, at trying to destroy you. In fact, uh, 1 Peter 3.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Pay attention. Your adversary, 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be aware. And this is why I think sometimes the mountaintop experience is immediately followed by a really hard situation. Is it that at that, those times our guard is let down? Things are so good. What could go wrong? We're not really being sober-minded. We're not being watchful and recognizing that, that our circumstances don't remove us from the fact that there is a war going on. There is a battle going on. When we get look at this, test, this text in, in Luke, Luke tells us something that I think is, is, is very key. See, it'd be really easy for me to want to just say, okay, let's look at now how Jesus was tempted and, and we'll see the three things and then we'll figure out how to pragmatically apply that to our lives. But I think that we need to stop again and focus in on, on the beginning part of what Luke says. And Luke says that he is full of the Holy Spirit and led. In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that he is, he is led, and that, the way that he says that word is translated, impelled, he is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so what I wanted to do real quickly before we close today, and then like I said, next week, we'll spend some time talking specifically about how he was tempted and what those mean and what our response is to those. But see, there's something very profound going on here. It's that... that, that we, we know that, that Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend on him and, 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 and became completely one with him in that moment, and, he, and he, he is led by that Spirit into the wilderness. And I think a lot of times because of Jesus' divine nature, we displace what he was capable of doing. We go, well, he was, you know, he was fully God, so he, he could do anything. I mean, it just was easy for him. But we got to realize that something really immaculate, amazing, and wonderful is going on is that he's also fully man in need of the Holy Spirit. And so somehow, again, and we don't know necessarily how that, that, that works, that relationship between God the Father and, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. We're not, we have ideas and everything. But either way, somehow at this moment, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is what drove him into the wilderness. And what's interesting about this text is that every single one of these tests, and we'll look at them more clearly next week, but every single one of these, when he's hungry and, and jump off the pinnacle of the temple and, 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 and worship, worship Satan, every single one of these tests, every single one of these temptations were a shortcut to God's plan. Every single one of them was a shortcut. It was, hey, if you just do this, you don't have to endure the cross. If you just, if you just take the easy way out here, you won't have to go through the pain and the suffering of the cross, the wrath of God. You won't have to go through that. And praise God that Jesus didn't take a shortcut. Praise God that he said no to all of that and he endured the pain, the long road to experience all of God's wrath on our stead. Praise God that he did that. But, but this begs the question, if Jesus is, is fully man in need of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is, is, is on him and living him and, and leading him, then, then let me ask this question for us, for those of us that are in Christ, for those of us that claim to be followers of him. Ezekiel 36 tells us that when, when, we, when we surrender our life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit puts a heart of flesh in us. It makes us a new creation. So then you and I, those of us that, that profess to follow, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, let me ask the very obvious question. If the Holy Spirit will lead Jesus into a dry, desolate, hostile place, would he do the same for you and I? And I think the obvious question is, is yes. But then this begs the next question is, 
when you find yourself in a dry, desolate, hard spot in the wilderness, are you looking for the shortcut? Are you looking for the quick, easy way out? Or are you remaining steadfast? Are you allowing God to use this to, to prove your faith, which is more valuable than gold? See, it's, it's, I think that, that the Holy Spirit gets kind of overlooked, and I, I know I did it as I studied through this text. You know, the, Jesus is, is kind of the main point of this Bible, and we know that, and that's very valuable. But I think a lot of times you and I forget how vital the Holy Spirit is to our walk with God. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit that sets the heart of flesh in us. And here we see Jesus, who is, who is, is, is fully God but still fully man, in, in dwelling, the Spirit is indwelling in him and leading him in this, in this situation. And it's that power, that very power that's led Jesus, that leads Jesus to, to go through the 40 days of fasting and all the tempting and to turn from, God, uh, turn from Satan and turn to God in all those situations. It's that Spirit that you and I have. It's the Holy Spirit that we sing about. We're so excited about, yeah, we have the power that raised Christ from the dead, but you and I live a life so weak at times when it comes to that power. So that begs the question, why? Why is it that? So I guess I want to ask, who is the Holy Spirit to you? The Spirit, the Spirit is sent to make Christ real to people and to show us who Jesus really is in all his glory so that we come to love him and trust him and obey him and show him to the world. So the Holy Spirit has a very active role in yours and my sanctification, in our, in our process of, of finishing this race. Has a very key role in our, in our beginning, in, in our walkthrough, and our ending. In fact, I just went through a few texts here. The Holy Spirit, some of the things that the Holy Spirit does, he comforts, John 12, 26. He teaches, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. He speaks, Acts 8, 29. He makes decisions, Acts 15, 28. Grieves over sin, Ephesians 4, 30. I want to pause on this for a second because he grieves. And a lot of people, and I remember early on, someone told me, a well-meaning youth leader told me that, well, you know that guilty feeling you have in you is the Holy Spirit. I just want to be really clear. God does not work through shame. I want to be really clear. God is not a God of shame. He's not looking at your sin and going, how dare you, you bad, bad person. God is a God of love. But, but our sin does cause the spirit of God inside of us to grieve. It grieves that because it knows. He knows what it does to us. Spirit, he, is, he understands what it's doing. We even see that he overrules human action. Acts 16, 6 through 7. He searches and knows the deep thoughts and things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10, 11. Some of us want to know God. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he is the one that does that. He is the one that works on that. He is the one that shows that. He determines our spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He interprets and brings prayer before the, before the Father, Romans 8, 26, 27. And he assures believers of their adoption, Romans 8, 16. See, some of you right now, you're like, man, I just, I'm not that sure that I, I really am with Christ. Well, guess whose job that is to assure you that? It's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's his job to assure you of that. But here's the biggest thing he does. And here's what the Holy Spirit's all about. He bears witness to the glories of Christ. Holy Spirit's about bringing much glory to Jesus. So then this begs a question. If you're not feeling comfort or hearing God speak or you're not feeling taught or you can't make decisions or you're not feeling any grievance over sins, then my question to you is this. Is your life about God's 
glory or yours. See, I think that you and I can limit the power of the Holy Spirit because we make our life and our circumstances about our glory and not his. And the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus Christ. He's about bringing immense glory to him. He's about working on him. He's about showing the world who he is. So when you find yourself led to the wilderness and you're asking for a way out, is that because you want glory? Because you want comfort for yourself and you don't want glory to go to Christ? You find yourself trying to make a decision and you're like, I can't, I can't seem to make a decision here. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you even paused to think what this decision would do for the glory of Christ in your life? See, we are so, we are so selfish. We are so selfish. And, and, and the, one of the most beautiful things I think that God does in our selfishness is he gives us the Holy Spirit who isn't really about us but about Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can bring glory to Christ. So, so in yours and my life, as you're looking to make decisions, as you're looking to live throughout the day or make it through the day, are you even paused at how your decisions, how your actions will bring glory to Christ? Or are you just thinking about yourself? Uh, this is just uh, one of the thoughts I had. You know, we hear and we see in First Peter, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. I think one of the amazing ways he gives us grace is when we are humble enough to recognize that our life isn't about us. We're humble enough to recognize that, you know what? It's God's grace that saved me. It's God's grace that I'll love him. It's God's grace that I'll serve him. And it's God's grace that I'll be with him forever. It's his work. In fact, some of us so badly want this passion of who Jesus is. We, wanna, we, want, we remember being on fire at one moment. We remember, we remember when we first came to Christ, like, man, everything just was like, it was awesome, and everything was about him. It didn't matter what anyone said. And so we long for that passion. I think that you and I long for the passion more than the Christ that that passion was instilled for us for. If you want passion, if you want to get on fire, then allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in making much of Jesus Christ and a lot less of you. Way more him, less us. We can be so selfish. We can, we can, we can get struggled in the middle of this. So I, I, guess, I guess if in your life right now you're not feeling much comfort, then something, just going to go out on a limb, something in your life is about you and not Christ. And we, we, we know that the Holy Spirit speaks, and I know that some people, like, I hear an audible voice, some people don't, and, and I think that we can't put him in a box on how he's going to speak to us. But I can tell you this. When he speaks, you know what he's going to speak? He's going to speak of the glory of Christ. So if you want to hear him speak in your life, you make your life about Christ. Everything that we do, everything that we do that's good comes from him. So you're like, I don't know, like I followed Jesus and this is a common, common thing with people that have been with Christ for a long time or they've been in and around the church. Like I followed him for a long time, but I just, I don't really see his presence. I don't really know his presence. And to quote John, my friend John said this last week, he said, well, you know, before Christ when you did all those dumb things and said all those stupid things, well, after Christ you didn't say as many dumb things or stupid things. That's not you, that's the spirit working in you. You realize that, that everything that you used to do, everything that you used, used to be, is, is different and everything that you are becoming that's more and more like Christ has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in you who is actively moving and pursuing to make much of Jesus Christ.
you have a desire to know God, that doesn't come from your flesh. That comes from the Spirit inside of you. If you have a desire to, to please God, that's not something that you're going to work on to, to just please Him, but you do it because you know that when you please, when you live out of obedience to Him, it's because of the Spirit's work in you and that more glory is brought to Christ. See, as, as I studied the Holy Spirit, I realized, like, we're not even, like, third person in the story. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've, been, we've been moved further down the totem pole. There's really not much about us that's really worthy of anything. In fact, anything in, of, in us that's good is Christ. That's it. So why, then, do you and I live our lives trying to make much of our glory, trying to make our plans work, trying to make life about us when the point of the story is Christ. And the power, the power that will keep you from failing, the power that will keep you from falling, the power that will make you more and more like Christ is the exact same power that Jesus Christ was driven to the wilderness by. Maybe some of you, you're in this spot, you're in this dry, desolate spot, and you want out because you've missed the point that God's saying, I don't want you to take the shortcut out. I want you to remain here I want you to keep your eye on the prize of Jesus Christ and remain, be steadfast in that. And this testing is going to prove your faith more valuable than gold. There's some good news in this. Although we're dealing with temptation, we will for the rest of our lives. Although God may bring us to a spot to test us to prove our faith, we will deal with that the rest of our lives. There's some really good news in that. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know that promise is for? That promises are for those who are in Christ. So if you're feeling, if you're feeling despair or, or forsaken or destroyed or perplexed, then maybe it's time to get back to who Jesus is in your life. If you're feeling, if you're feeling struck down, or persecuted, do not despair because you will not be forsaken or destroyed. Christ, that's the, that's the best thing about this, this situation. Christ is victorious. Christ wins. And he wins by doing a number of different things, but we can't start with what he does pragmatically unless we recognize that he does it with the Spirit's power in him. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a couple more songs. But again, I just want to ask you the question, is, is your life about bringing glory to Christ or is your life about what grades you're going to get, what job you're going to get, who you're going to marry, how you're going to do in school or, or what you're going to do tomorrow or, or what you're going to do for the weekend and it really becomes all about you. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad, but in every single one of those things, if you're not figuring out, if you're not figuring out or allowing or getting out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can show you how to bring glory to Christ in that situation, you're doing it for yourself. You're limiting the power that defeats Satan. You're holding back the power that that can crush Satan. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for revealing a, a piece of history to us that no human uh, other than Jesus Christ, God, experience. But thank you that he was um, sharing this with us. God, thank you for reminding me this week how, how much I need your Holy Spirit. Thank you for reminding me that he is real, that he is valuable, that he is incredibly powerful. 
that he is. He is stronger than any, any temptation. He is stronger than any struggle in this world. He is stronger than Satan, God. We thank you for, 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 for allowing us to be a part of this, for bringing us, for adopting us into your home. We thank you that, that Jesus didn't take the short way out, that he, he endured the cross, the pain of the cross, the wrath of you for all of us. So God, I just pray wherever we are in this room, wherever we are, um, whether we know God or we don't, or we've been with him for a long time, God, would you just uh, start burning that Holy Spirit inside of us again? And would you draw us to your word? Would you draw us to community? Would you draw us to service, God? Would you draw us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ? May we get out of the way. May we eliminate our pride and ask for help from the one person we can ask for and guarantee the most amount of strength. That's your Holy Spirit. May we lean on him as he leads us, as he guides us, as he moves about our life to adjust whatever vocation we're in to bend it to bring more glory to you. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.